This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 14 and 15 from Wilkie Collins' mystery, The Moonstone. And now, chapter 14. The nearest way to the garden, on going out of my lady's sitting room, was by the shrubbery path, which you already know of. For the sake of your better understanding of what is now to come, I may add to this that the shrubbery path was Mr. Franklin's favorite walk. When he was out on the grounds, and when we failed to find him anywhere else, we generally found him here. I am afraid I must own that I am rather an obstinate old man. The more firmly Sergeant Cuff kept his thoughts shut up from me, the more firmly I persisted in trying to look in at them. As we turned into the shrubbery path, I attempted to circumvent him in another way. "'As things are now,' I said, "'if I was in your place, I should be at my wit's end.' "'If you were in my place,' answered the sergeant, "'you would have formed an opinion. "'And, as things are now, "'any doubt you might previously have felt "'about your own conclusions "'would be completely set at rest. "'Never mind for the present "'what those conclusions are, Mr. Betteredge. "'I haven't brought you out here "'to draw me out like a badger. "'I have brought you out here "'to ask for some information. "'You might have given it to me, no doubt, "'in the house, instead of out of it, "'but doors and listeners have a knack of getting together, "'and in my line of life we cultivate a healthy taste for the open air.' "'Who was to circumvent this man?' "'I gave in and waited as patiently as I could "'to hear what was coming next. "'We won't enter into your young lady's motives,' "'the sergeant went on. "'We will only say it's a pity she declines to assist me, "'because, by so doing,' She makes this investigation more difficult than it might otherwise have been. We must now try to solve the mystery of the smear on the door, which, you may take my word for it, means the mystery of the diamond also. In some other way, I've decided to see the servants and to search their thoughts and actions, Mr. Betteredge, instead of searching their wardrobes. Before I begin, however, I want to ask you a question or two. You are an observant man— "'Did you notice anything strange in any of the servants, "'making due allowance, of course, for fright and fluster, "'after the loss of the diamond was found out? "'Any particular quarrel among them, "'any one of them not in his or her usual spirits? 
unexpectedly out of temper, for instance, or unexpectedly taken ill. I had just time to think of Rosanna Spearman's sudden illness at yesterday's dinner, but not time to make any answer, when I saw Sergeant Cuff's eyes suddenly turn aside towards the shrubbery, and I heard him say softly to himself, Hello. What's the matter? I asked. A touch of rheumatics in my back, said the sergeant in a loud voice, as if he wanted some third person to hear us. We shall have a change in the weather before long. A few steps further brought us to the corner of the house. Turning off sharp to the right, we entered on the terrace and went down, by the steps in the middle, into the garden below. Sergeant Cuff stopped there in the open space where we could see round us on every side. "'About that young person, Rosanna Spearman,' he said. "'It isn't very likely with her personal appearance that she has got a lover. But, for the girl's own sake, I must ask you at once whether she has provided herself with a sweetheart, poor wretch, like the rest of them.' "'What on earth did he mean, under present circumstances, by putting such a question to me as that?' I stared at him, instead of answering him. "'I saw Rosanna Spearman hiding in the shrubbery as we went by,' said the sergeant. "'When you said hello?' "'Yes, when I said hello. If there's a sweetheart in the case, the hiding doesn't much matter. If there isn't, as things are in this house, the hiding is a highly suspicious circumstance, and it would be my painful duty to act on it accordingly.' "'What in God's name was I to say to him? "'I knew the shrubbery was Mr. Franklin's favorite walk. "'I knew he would most likely turn that way "'when he came back from the station. "'I knew that Penelope had over and over again "'caught her fellow servant hanging about there, "'and that always declared to me "'that Rosanna's object was to attract Mr. Franklin's attention. "'If my daughter was right, "'she might well have been lying in wait "'for Mr. Franklin's return when the sergeant noticed her.' I was put between the two difficulties of mentioning Penelope's fanciful notion as if it was mine, or of leaving an unfortunate creature to suffer the consequences, the very serious consequences, of exciting the suspicion of Sergeant Cuff. Out of pure pity for the girl, on my soul and my character, out of pure pity for the girl, I gave the sergeant the necessary explanations, and told him that Rosanna had been mad enough to set her heart on Mr. Franklin Blake." Sergeant Cuff never laughed. On the few occasions when anything amused him, he curled up a little at the corners of the lips. Nothing more. He curled up now. Hadn't you better say she's mad enough to be an ugly girl and only a servant? He asked. The falling in love with a gentleman of Mr. Franklin Blake's manners and appearance doesn't seem to me to be the maddest part of her conduct by any means. However, I'm glad the thing is cleared up. It relieves one's mind to have things cleared up. "'Yes, I'll keep it a secret, Mr. Betteredge. "'I like to be tender to human infirmity, "'though I don't get many chances of exercising that virtue in my line of life. "'You think Mr. Franklin Blake hasn't got a suspicion of the girl's fancy for him? "'Ah, he would have found that out fast enough if she had been nice-looking. "'The ugly women have a bad time of it in this world. "'Let's hope it will be made up to them in another. "'You have got a nice garden here and a well-kept lawn.' See for yourself how much better the flowers look with grass about them instead of gravel. No, thank you. I won't take a rose. It goes to my heart to break them off at the stem. 
"'just as it goes to your heart, you know, "'when there's something wrong in the servants' hall. "'Did you notice anything you couldn't account for "'in any of the servants "'when the loss of the diamond was first found out?' "'I had got on very well with Sergeant Cuff so far, "'but the slyness with which he slipped in that last question "'put me on my guard. "'In plain English, "'I didn't at all relish the notion of helping his inquiries "'when those inquiries took him, "'in the capacity of snake in the grass, "'among my fellow servants. "'I noticed nothing,' I said, "'except that we all lost our heads together, "'myself included. "'Oh,' says the sergeant, "'that's all you have to tell me, is it?' "'I answered with, as I flattered myself, "'an unmoved countenance. "'That is all.' "'Sergeant Cuff's dismal eyes looked me hard in the face. "'Mr. Betteredge,' he said, "'have you any objection to oblige me by shaking hands? "'I've taken an extraordinary liking to you.' "'Why should he have chosen the exact moment when I was deceiving him "'to give me that proof of his good opinion is beyond all comprehension. "'I really did feel a little proud of having been one too many at last "'for the celebrated Cuff.' "'We went back to the house.' "'the sergeant requesting that I would give him a room to himself "'and then send in the servants, the indoor servants only, "'one after another, in the order of their rank, from first to last. "'I showed Sergeant Cuff into my own room "'and then called the servants together in the hall. "'Rosanna Spearman appeared among them, much as usual. "'She was as quick in her way as the sergeant in his, "'and I suspect she had heard what he said to me "'about the servants in general, just before he discovered her.' There she was, at any rate, looking as if she'd never heard of such a place as the shrubbery in her life. I sent them in, one by one, as desired. The cook was the first to enter the court of justice, otherwise my room. She remained but a short time. Report on coming out? Sergeant Cuff is depressed in his spirits, but Sergeant Cuff is a perfect gentleman. My lady's own maid followed. Remained much longer. "'Report on coming out? "'If Sergeant Cuff doesn't believe a respectable woman, "'he might keep his opinion to himself at any rate. "'Penelope went next. "'Remained only a moment or two. "'Report on coming out? "'Sergeant Cuff is much to be pitied. "'He must have been crossed in love, father, "'when he was a young man. "'The first housemaid followed Penelope. "'Remained, like my lady's maid, a long time. "'Report on coming out?' "'I didn't enter her ladyship's service, Mr. Betteredge, "'to be doubted to my face by a low police officer.' "'Rosanna Spearman went next, "'remained longer than any of them. "'No report on coming out, "'dead silence, and lips as pale as ashes. "'Samuel, the footman, followed Rosanna. "'Remained a minute or two. "'Report on coming out. "'Whoever blacks Sergeant Cuff's boots "'ought to be ashamed of himself.' "'Nancy, the kitchen-maid, went last.' "'Remained a minute or two. "'Report on coming out. "'Sergeant Cuff has a heart. "'He doesn't cut jokes, Mr. Betteredge, "'with a poor, hard-working girl.' "'Going into the court of justice, "'when it was all over, "'to hear if there were any further commands for me, "'I found the sergeant at his old trick, "'looking out of the window and whistling "'The Last Rose of Summer to himself. "'Any discoveries, sir?' I inquired. "'If Rosanna Spearman asks leave to go out,' said the sergeant, "'let the poor thing go. But let me know first. "'I might as well have held my tongue about Rosanna and Mr. Franklin. "'It was plain enough. 
the unfortunate girl had fallen under Sergeant Cuff's suspicions, in spite of all I could do to prevent it. "'I hope you don't think Rosanna is concerned in the loss of the diamond,' I ventured to say. The corners of the sergeant's melancholy mouth curled up, and he looked hard in my face, just as he had looked in the garden. "'I think I'd better not tell you, Mr. Betteredge,' he said. "'You might lose your head, you know, for the second time.' I began to doubt whether I had been one too many for the celebrated cuff, after all. It was rather a relief to me that we were interrupted here by a knock at the door and a message from the cook. Rosanna Spearman had asked to go out, for the usual reason, that her head was bad and she wanted a breath of fresh air. At a sign from the sergeant, I said, Yes. Which is the servant's way out? he asked, when the messenger had gone. I showed him the servant's way out. "'Lock the door of your room,' says the sergeant, "'and if anybody asks for me, say I'm in there, composing my mind.' He curled up again at the corners of his lips and disappeared. Left alone under those circumstances, a devouring curiosity pushed me on to make some discoveries for myself. It was plain that Sergeant Cuff's suspicions of Rosanna had been roused by something that he had found out at his examination of the servants in my room.' Now, the only two servants, excepting Rosanna herself, who had remained under examination for any length of time, were my lady's own maid and the first housemaid, those two being also the women who had taken the lead in persecuting their unfortunate fellow-servant from the first. Reaching these conclusions, I looked in on them, casually as it might be, in the servants' hall, and, finding tea going forward, instantly invited myself to that meal. For, nota bene, a drop of tea is to a woman's tongue what a drop of oil is to a wasting lamp. My reliance on the teapot as an ally did not go unrewarded. In less than half an hour I knew as much as the sergeant himself. My lady's maid and the housemaid had, it appeared, neither of them believed in Rosanna's illness of the previous day. These two devils, I ask your pardon, but how else can you describe a couple of spiteful women? had stolen upstairs at intervals during the Thursday afternoon, had tried Rosanna's door and found it locked, had knocked and not been answered, had listened and not heard a sound inside. When the girl had come down to tea and had been sent up, still out of sorts, to bed again, the two devils aforesaid had tried her door once more and found it locked, had looked at the keyhole and found it stopped up, had seen a light under the door at midnight, and had heard the crackling of a fire, a fire in a servant's bedroom in the month of June, at four in the morning. All this they had told Sergeant Cuff, who, in return for their anxiety to enlighten him, had eyed them with sour and suspicious looks, and had shown them plainly that he didn't believe either one or the other. Hence the unfavorable reports of him which these two women had brought out with them from the examination. Hence also, without reckoning the influence of the teapot, their readiness to let their tongues run to any length on the subject of the sergeant's ungracious behavior to them. Having had some experience of the great Cuff's roundabout ways, and having last seen him evidently bent on following Rosanna privately when she went out for her last walk, it seemed clear to me that he had thought it unadvisable to let the lady's maid and the housemaid know how materially they had helped him. They were just the sort of women, if he had treated their evidence as trustworthy, to have been puffed up by it, and to have said or done something which would have put Rosanna Spearman on her guard. 
I walked out in the fine summer afternoon, very sorry for the poor girl, and very uneasy in my mind at the turn things had taken. Drifting towards the shrubbery, sometimes later, there I met Mr. Franklin. After returning from seeing his cousin off at the station, he had been with my lady, holding a long conversation with her. She had told him of Miss Rachel's unaccountable refusal to let her wardrobe be examined, and had put him in such low spirits about my young lady that he seemed to shrink from speaking on the subject. The family temper appeared in his face that evening, for the first time in my experience of him. "'Well, Better Edge,' he said, "'how does the atmosphere of mystery and suspicion "'in which we're all living now agree with you? "'Do you remember that morning "'when I first came here with the moonstone? "'I wish to God we'd thrown it into the quicksand.' "'After breaking out in that way, "'he abstained from speaking again "'until he'd composed himself. "'We walked silently, side by side, "'for a minute or two, "'and then he asked me what had become of Sergeant Cuff.' It was impossible to put Mr. Franklin off with the excuse of the sergeant being in my room, composing his mind. I told him exactly what had happened, mentioning particularly what my lady's maid and the housemaid had said about Rosanna Spearman. Mr. Franklin's clear head saw the turn the sergeant's suspicions had taken in the twinkling of an eye. "'Didn't you tell me this morning,' he said, "'that one of the tradespeople declared he'd met Rosanna yesterday on the footway to Frizen Hall?' "'when we supposed her to be ill in her room?' "'Yes, sir. "'If my aunt's maid and the other women have spoken the truth, "'you may depend upon it the tradesmen did meet her. "'The girl's attack of illness was a blind to deceive us. "'She had some guilty reason for going to the town secretly. "'The paint-stained dress is a dress of hers, "'and the fire heard crackling in her room at four in the morning "'was a fire lit to destroy it. "'Rosanna Spearman has stolen the diamond.' "'I'll go in directly and tell my aunt the turn things have taken. "'Not just yet, if you please, sir,' said a melancholy voice behind us. "'We both turned about and found ourselves face to face with Sergeant Cuff. "'Why not just yet?' asked Mr. Franklin. "'Because, sir, if you tell her ladyship, her ladyship will tell Miss Verinder. "'Suppose she does. What then?' Mr. Franklin said those words with a sudden heat and vehemence, as if the sergeant had mortally offended him. "'Do you think it's wise, sir,' said Sergeant Cuff quietly, "'to put such a question as that to me at such a time as this?' There was a moment's silence between them. Mr. Franklin walked close up to the sergeant. The two looked each other straight in the face. Mr. Franklin spoke first, dropping his voice as suddenly as he had raised it. "'I suppose you know, Mr. Cuff,' he said, "'that you are treading on delicate ground?' "'It isn't the first time, by a good many hundreds, "'that I find myself treading on delicate ground,' "'answered the other, as immovable as ever. "'Am I to understand that you forbid me "'to tell my aunt what has happened?' "'You are to understand, if you please, sir, "'that I throw up the case if you tell Lady Verinder "'or tell anybody what has happened.' "'until I give you leave.' "'That settled it. "'Mr. Franklin had no choice but to submit. "'He turned away in anger and left us. "'I had stood there listening to them, "'all in a tremble, "'not knowing whom to suspect "'or what to think next. "'In the midst of my confusion, two things, however, were plain to me. First, that my young lady was, "'in some unaccountable manner, "'at the bottom of the sharp speeches "'that had passed between them. Second. 
that they thoroughly understood each other, without having previously exchanged a word of explanation on either side. "'Mr. Betteredge,' says the sergeant, "'you have done a very foolish thing in my absence. "'You've done a little detective business on your own account. "'For the future, perhaps you'll be so obliging "'as to do your detective business along with me.' "'He took me by the arm "'and walked me away with him along the road "'by which he had come. "'I dare say I had deserved his reproof, "'but I was not going to help him to set traps "'for Rosanna Spearman, for all that. "'Thief or no thief, legal or not legal, I don't care.' I pitied her. "'What do you want of me?' I asked, shaking him off and stopping short. "'Only a little information about the country round here,' said the sergeant. I couldn't well object to improve Sergeant Cuff in his geography. "'Is there any path in that direction, leading to the sea beach from this house?' asked the sergeant. He pointed, as he spoke, to the fir plantation which led to the shivering sand." "'Yes,' I said. "'There is a path.' "'Show it to me.' Side by side, in the gray of the summer evening, Sergeant Cuff and I set forth for the shivering sand. We'll return with Chapter 15 of The Moonstone right after these sponsor messages. And now, our story continues with Chapter 15. The sergeant remained silent, thinking his own thoughts, till we entered the plantation of firs which led to the quicksand. There he roused himself, like a man whose mind was made up, and spoke to me again. "'Mr. Betteredge,' he said, "'as you have honoured me by taking an oar in my boat, as you may say, I think, be of some assistance to me before the evening is out. I see no use in our mystifying one another any longer.' "'and I propose to set you an example of plain speaking on my side. "'You are determined to give me no information "'to the prejudice of Rosanna Spearman, "'because she has been a good girl to you, "'and because you pity her heartily. "'Those humane considerations do you a world of credit, "'but they happen in this instance "'to be humane considerations clean thrown away. "'Rosanna Spearman is not in the slightest danger "'of getting into trouble. "'No,' "'not if I fix her with being concerned "'to the disappearance of the diamond, "'on evidence which is as plain as the nose on your face. "'Do you mean that my lady won't prosecute?' I asked. "'I mean that your lady can't prosecute,' said the sergeant. "'Rosanna Spearman is simply an instrument "'in the hands of another person, "'and Rosanna Spearman will be held harmless "'for that other person's sake.' "'He spoke like a man in earnest.' There was no denying that. Still, I felt something stirring uneasily against him in my mind. "'Can't you give that other person a name?' I said. "'Can't you, Mr. Betteredge?' "'No.' Sergeant Cuff stood stock still and surveyed me with a look of melancholy interest. "'It's always a pleasure to me to be tender towards human infirmity,' he said. "'I'll feel particularly tender at the present moment, Mr. Betteredge, towards you. "'And you, with the same excellent motive, "'feel particularly tender towards Rosanna Spearman, don't you? "'Do you happen to know whether she has had a new outfit of linen lately?' "'What he meant by slipping in this extraordinary question unawares, "'I was at a total loss to imagine. 
seeing no possible injury to Rosanna, if I owned the truth, I answered that the girl had come to us rather sparsely provided with linen, and that my lady, in recompense for her good conduct, I laid a stress on her good conduct, had given her a new outfit not a fortnight since. "'This is a miserable world,' says the sergeant. "'Human life, Mr. Bitteredge, is a sort of target. Misfortune is always firing at it, and always hitting the mark. But for that outfit, we should have discovered a new nightgown or petticoat among Rosanna's things, and have nailed her in that way. You're not at a loss to follow me, are you? You have examined the servants yourself, and you know what discoveries two of them made outside Rosanna's door. Surely you know what the girl was about yesterday, after she was taken ill? You can't guess? Oh, dear me! "'It's as plain as that strip of light there at the end of the trees. "'At eleven, on Thursday morning, Superintendent Seagrave, "'who is a mass of human infirmity, "'points out to all the women servants the smear on the door. "'Rosanna has her own reasons for suspecting her own things. "'She takes the first opportunity of getting to her room, "'finds the paint stain on her nightgown or petticoat or whatnot, "'shams ill, and slips away to the town, "'gets the materials for making a new petticoat or nightgown.' "'makes it alone in her room on the Thursday night. "'Lights a fire, not to destroy it. Two of her fellow servants are prying outside her door, "'and she knows better than to make a smell of burning "'and to have a lot of tinder to get rid of. "'Lights a fire, I say, to dry and iron the substitute dress "'after wringing it out, keeps the stained dress hidden, "'probably on her, and is at this moment occupied in making away with it "'in some convenient place,' "'on that lonely bit of beach ahead of us. "'I have traced her this evening to your fishing village "'and to one particular cottage "'which we may possibly have to visit before we go back. "'She stopped in the cottage for some time, "'and she came out with, as I believe, "'something hidden under her cloak. "'A cloak on a woman's back is an emblem of charity. "'It covers a multitude of sins. "'I saw her set off northwards along the coast "'after leaving the cottage.' "'Is your seashore here considered a fine specimen of marine landscape, Mr. Betteredge?' "'I answered yes, as shortly as might be. "'Tastes differ,' says Sergeant Cuff. "'Looking at it from my point of view, "'I never saw a marine landscape that I admired less. "'If you happen to be following another person along your seacoast, "'and if that person happens to look round, "'there isn't a scrap of cover to hide you anywhere.' I had to choose between taking Rosanna in custody on suspicion or leaving her, for the time being, with her little game in her own hands. For reasons which I won't trouble you with, I decided on making any sacrifice rather than to give the alarm as soon as tonight to a certain person who shall be nameless between us. I came back to the house to ask you to take me to the north end of the beach by another way. Sand, in respect of its printing off people's footsteps, "'is one of the best detective officers I know. "'If we don't meet with Rosanna Spearman "'by coming round on her in this way, "'the sand may tell us what she's been at, "'if the light only lasts long enough. "'Here is the sand. "'If you'll excuse my suggesting it, "'suppose you hold your tongue and let me go first? "'If there is such a thing known at the doctor's shop "'as the detective fever, "'that disease had now got fast hold of your humble servant.' Sergeant Cuff went on between the hillocks of sand down to the beach. I followed him with my heart in my mouth, 
and waited at a little distance for what was to happen next. As it turned out, I found myself standing nearly in the same place where Rosanna Spearman and I had been talking together when Mr. Franklin suddenly appeared before us, on arriving at our house from London. While my eyes were watching the sergeant, my mind wandered away in spite of me to what had passed on that former occasion between Rosanna and me. I declare I almost felt the poor thing slip her hand again into mine, and give it a little grateful squeeze to thank me for speaking kindly to her. I declare I almost heard her voice telling me again that the shivering sand seemed to draw her to it against her own will whenever she went out. Almost saw her face brighten again, as it brightened when she first set eyes upon Mr. Franklin coming briskly out on us from among the hillocks. My spirits fell lower and lower as I thought of these things, and the view of the lonesome little bay, when I looked about to rouse myself, only served to make me feel more uneasy still. The last of the evening light was fading away, and over all the desolate place there hung a still and awful calm. The heave of the main ocean on the great sandbank out in the bay was a heave that made no sound. The inner sea lay lost and dim, without a breath of wind to stir it. Patches of nasty ooze floated, yellow-white, on the dead surface of the water. Scum and slime shone faintly in certain places, where the last of the light still caught them on the two great spits of rock jutting out, north and south, into the sea. It was now the time of the turn of the tide, and even as I stood there waiting, the broad brown face of the quicksand began to dimple and quiver, the only moving thing in all the horrid place. I saw the sergeant start as the shiver of the sand caught his eye. After looking at it for a minute or so, he turned and came back to me. "'A treacherous place, Mr. Betteredge,' he said. "'And no signs of Rosanna Spearman anywhere on the beach. Look where you may.' He took me down lower on the shore, and I saw for myself that his footsteps and mine were the only footsteps printed off on the sand. "'How does the fishing village bear, standing where we are now?' asked Sergeant Cuff. "'Cobb's Hole,' I answered, that being the name of the place. "'Bears as near as may be, due south.' "'I saw the girl this evening, walking northward along the shore, from Cobb's Hole,' said the sergeant. "'Consequently, she must have been walking towards this place. "'Is Cobb's Hole on the other side of that point of land there? "'And can we get to it? "'Now it's low water. "'By the beach?' "'I answered yes to both these questions.' "'If you'll excuse my suggesting it, we'll step out briskly,' said the sergeant. "'I want to find the place where she left the shore before it gets dark.' "'We had walked, I should say, a couple of hundred yards towards Cobb's Hole, "'when Sergeant Cuff suddenly went down on his knees on the beach, "'to all appearance seized with a sudden frenzy for saying his prayers. "'There's something to be said for your marine landscape here, after all,' remarked the sergeant. "'Here are a woman's footsteps, Mr. Bitteredge. "'Let us call them Rosanna's footsteps, "'until we find evidence to the contrary that we can't resist. "'Very confused footsteps, you are pleased to observe. "'Purposely confused, I should say. "'Ah, poor soul, she understands the detective virtues of sand as well as I do. "'But hasn't she been in rather too great a hurry to tread out the marks thoroughly? "'I think she has. "'Here's one footstep going from Cobb's Hole.' "'and here's another going back to it. 
"'Isn't that the toe of her shoe pointing straight to the water's edge? "'And don't I see two heel marks further down the beach, "'close at the water's edge also? "'I don't want to hurt your feelings, "'but I'm afraid Rosanna is sly. "'It looks as if she is determined to get to that place "'you and I have just come from, "'without leaving any marks on the sand to trace her by. "'Shall we say that she walked through the water from this point "'till she got to that ledge of rocks behind us, "'and came back the same way?' "'and then took to the beach again, "'where those two heel-marks are still left. "'Yes, we'll say that. "'It seems to fit in with my notion "'that she had something under her cloak "'when she left the cottage. "'No, not something to destroy. "'For, in that case, "'where would have been the need of all these precautions "'to prevent my tracing the place "'at which her walk ended? "'Something to hide is, I think, "'the better guess of the two. "'Perhaps, if we go on to the cottage,' "'we may find out just what that something is.' "'At this proposal, my detective fever suddenly cooled. "'You don't want me,' I said. "'What good can I do?' "'The longer I know you, Mr. Betteredge,' said the sergeant, "'the more virtues I discover. "'Modesty! Oh, dear me! "'How rare modesty is in this world! "'And how much of that rarity you possess! "'If I go alone to the cottage,' "'The people's tongues will be tied at the first question I put to them. "'If I go with you, I go introduced by a justly respected neighbor, "'and a flow of conversation is the necessary result. "'It strikes me in that light. "'How does it strike you?' "'Not having an answer of the needful smartness as ready as I could have wished, "'I tried to gain time by asking him what cottage he wanted to go to. "'On the sergeant describing the place, "'I recognized it as a cottage inhabited by a fisherman named Yoland.' "'with his wife and two grown-up children, a son and a daughter. "'If you would look back, you will find that, "'in first presenting Rosanna Spearman to your notice, "'I have described her as occasionally burying her walks to the shivering sand "'by a visit to some friends of hers at Cobb's Hole. "'Those friends were the Yolans, respectable, worthy people, "'a credit to the neighborhood. "'Rosanna's acquaintance with them had begun by the means of the daughter, "'who was afflicted with a misshapen foot.' "'and who was known in our parts by the name of Limping Lucy. "'The two deformed girls had, I suppose, "'a kind of fellow-feeling for each other. "'Anyway, the Yolans and Rosanna always appeared to get on together, "'at the few chances they had of meeting, "'in a pleasant and friendly manner. "'The fact of Sergeant Cuff having traced the girl to their cottage "'set the matter of helping his inquiries in quite a new light. "'Rosanna had merely gone where she was in the habit of going.' and to show that she had been in company with the fisherman and his family was as good as to prove that she had been innocently occupied so far, at any rate. It would be doing the girl a service, therefore, instead of an injury, if I allowed myself to be convinced by Sergeant Cuff's logic. I professed myself convinced by it accordingly. We went on to Cobb's Hole, seeing the footsteps on the sand, as long as the light lasted. On reaching the cottage, the fisherman and his son proved to be out in the boat, "'and limping Lucy, always weak and weary, "'was resting on her bed upstairs. "'Good Mrs. Yolland received us alone in her kitchen. "'When she heard that Sergeant Cuff "'was a celebrated character in London, "'she clapped a bottle of Dutch gin "'and a couple of clean pipes on the table "'and stared as if she could never see enough of him. "'I sat quiet in a corner, "'waiting to hear how the sergeant "'would find his way to the subject of Rosanna Spearman. "'His usual roundabout manner of going to work "'proved, on this occasion, "'to be more roundabout than ever. "'How he managed it is more than I could tell at this time, "'and more than I can tell now. "'But this is certain. 
he began with the royal family, the primitive Methodists, and the price of fish, and he got from that, in his dismal underground way, to the loss of the moonstone, the spitefulness of our first housemaid, and the hard behavior of the women servants generally towards Rosanna Spearman. Having reached his subject in this fashion, he described himself as making his inquiries about the lost diamond partly with a view to find it, and partly for the purpose of clearing Rosanna from the unjust suspicions of her enemies in the house. In about a quarter of an hour from the time when we entered the kitchen, good Mrs. Yoland was persuaded that she was talking to Rosanna's best friend, and was pressing Sergeant Cuff to comfort his stomach and revive his spirits out of the Dutch bottle. Being firmly persuaded that the sergeant was wasting his breath to no purpose on Mrs. Yoland, I sat and joined the talk between them, much as I've sat, in my time, enjoying a stage play. The great cup showed a wonderful patience, trying his luck drearily this way and that way, and firing shot after shot, as it were, at random, on the chance of hitting the mark. Everything to Rosanna's credit, nothing to Rosanna's prejudice. That was how it ended, try as he might, with Mrs. Yoland talking nineteen to the dozen, and placing the most entire confidence in him. His last effort was made when we had looked at our watches, and had got on our legs previous to taking leave. "'I shall now wish you good night, ma'am,' says the sergeant, "'and I shall only say, at parting, that Rosanna Spearman has a sincere well-wisher in myself, your obedient servant. But, oh, dear me, she will never get on in her present place, and my advice to her is—leave it.' "'Bless your heart alive! She is going to leave it!' cries Mrs. Yoland. No de bene. I translate Mrs. Yoland out of the Yorkshire language into the English language. When I tell you that the all-accomplished cup was every now and then puzzled to understand her until I helped him, you will draw your own conclusions as to what your state of mind would be if I reported her in her native tongue. Rosanna Spearman was going to leave us. I pricked up my ears at that. It seemed strange, to say the least of it, that she would have given no warning, in the first place, to my lady or to me. A certain doubt came up in my mind whether Sergeant Cuff's last random shot might not have hit the mark. I began to question whether my share in the proceedings was quite as harmless a one as I thought it. It might be all in the way of the sergeant's business to mystify an honest woman by wrapping her round in a network of lies, but it was my duty to have remembered, as a good Protestant, that the father of lies is the devil, and that mischief and the devil are never far apart. Beginning to smell mischief in the air, I tried to take Sergeant Cuff out. He sat down again instantly, and asked for a little drop of comfort out of the Dutch bottle. Mrs. Yolan sat down opposite to him, and gave him his nip. I went on to the door, excessively uncomfortable, and said I thought I must bid them good night, and yet I didn't go. "'So she means to leave,' says the sergeant. "'What is she to do when she does leave? Sad, sad.' "'The poor creature has got no friends in the world, except you and me.' "'Ah, but she has, though,' says Mrs. Yoland. "'She came in here, as I told you, this evening, "'and, after sitting and talking a little with my girl Lucy and me, "'she asked to go upstairs by herself into Lucy's room. "'It's the only room in our place where there's a pen and ink. "'I want to write a letter to a friend,' she says, "'and I can't do it for the prying and peeping of the servants up at the house.' "'Who the letter was written to, I can't tell you. "'It must have been a mortal long one, "'judging by the time she stopped upstairs over it. "'I offered her a postage stamp when she came down. "'She hadn't got the letter in her hand, "'and she didn't accept the stamp. "'A little close, 
poor soul, as you know, about herself and her doings. But a friend she has got somewhere, I can tell you, and to that friend you may depend upon it, she will go. Soon? asked the sergeant. As soon as she can, says Mrs. Yoland. Here I stepped in again from the door. As chief of my lady's establishment, I couldn't allow this sort of loose talk about a servant of ours going, or not going, to proceed any longer in my presence without noticing it. "'You must be mistaken about Rosanna Spearman,' I said. "'If she had been going to leave her present situation, "'she would have mentioned it, in the first place, to me.' "'Mistaken?' cries Mrs. Yoland. "'Why, only an hour ago she bought some things she wanted for travelling, "'of my own self, Mr. Betteredge, in this very room.' "'And that reminds me,' says the wearisome woman, "'suddenly beginning to feel in her pocket, "'of something I've got it on my mind to say about Rosanna and her money.' "'Are you either of you likely to see her when you go back to the house?' "'I'll take a message to the poor thing with the greatest pleasure,' "'answered Sergeant Cuff, before I could put in a word edgewise. "'Mrs. Yoland produced out of her pocket a few shillings and sixpences "'and counted them out with a most particular and exasperating carefulness "'in the palm of her hand. "'She offered the money to the sergeant, "'looking mighty loath to part with it all the while. "'Might I ask you to give this back to Rosanna, with my love and respects?' "'says Mrs. Yolan. "'She insisted on paying me for the one or two things "'she took a fancy to this evening, "'and money's welcome enough in our house. "'I don't deny it. "'Still, I'm not easy in my mind "'about taking the poor thing's little savings. "'And to tell you the truth, "'I don't think my man would like to hear "'that I had taken Rosanna Spearman's money "'when he comes back tomorrow morning from his work. "'Please say she's hardly welcome "'to the things she bought of me. "'As a gift. "'And don't leave the money on the table,' "'says Mrs. Yolan. "'putting it down suddenly before the sergeant, "'as if it burnt her fingers. "'Don't. "'There's a good man. "'For times are hard, and flesh is weak, "'and I might feel tempted to put it back in my pocket again.' "'Come along,' I said. "'I can't wait any longer. "'I must go back to the house.' "'I'll follow you directly,' says Sergeant Cuff. "'For the second time I went to the door, "'and, for the second time, try as I might, "'I couldn't cross the threshold. "'It's a delicate matter, ma'am,' I heard the sergeant say, "'giving money back. "'You charged her cheap for the things, I'm sure.' "'Cheap,' says Mrs. Yoland. "'Come and judge for yourself.' "'She took up the candle "'and led the sergeant to a corner of the kitchen. "'For the life of me, I couldn't help following them. "'Shaken down in the corner was a heap of odds and ends, "'mostly old metal, "'which the fishermen had picked up at different times "'from wrecked ships,' "'and which he hadn't found a market for yet, to his own mind. "'Mrs. Yolan dived into this rubbish "'and brought up an old japanned tin case with a cover to it "'and a hasp to hang it up by, "'the sort of thing they use on board ship "'for keeping their maps and charts and such like from the wet. "'There,' says she, "'when Rosanna came in this evening, she bought the fellow to that. "'It will just do,' she says, "'to put my cuffs and collars in, "'and keep them from being crumpled in my box. "'One and nine pence, Mr. Cuff. "'As I live by bread, not a halfpenny more.' "'Dirt cheap,' says the sergeant, with a heavy sigh. "'He weighed the case in his hand. "'I thought I heard a note or two of the last rose of summer as he looked at it. "'There was no doubt now. "'He had made another discovery to the prejudice of Rosanna Spearman, "'in the place of all others where I thought her character was safest, "'and all through me.' I leave you to imagine what I felt, 
and how sincerely I reported having been the medium of introduction between Mrs. Yoland and Sergeant Cuff. "'That will do,' I said. "'We really must go.' Without paying the least attention to me, Mrs. Yoland took another dive into the rubbish, and came up out of it, this time with a dog-chain. "'Weigh it in your hands, sir,' she said to the sergeant. "'We had three of these, and Rosanna has taken two of them. "'What can you want, my dear, with a couple of dogs' chains?' says I. "'If I join them together, they'll do round my box nicely,' says she. "'Rope's cheapest,' says I. "'Chains surest,' says she. "'Whoever heard of a box corded with chain?' says I. "'Oh, Mrs. Yoland, don't make objections,' says she. "'Let me have my chains.' "'A strange girl, Mr. Cuff, good as gold, and kinder than a sister to my Lucy, but always a little strange.' "'There,' I humored her, three and sixpence. "'On the word of an honest woman, three and sixpence, Mr. Cuff.' "'Each?' says the sergeant. "'Both together,' says Mrs. Yolan. Three and sixpence for the two. "'You gave him away, ma'am,' says the sergeant, shaking his head. "'Clean gave him away.' "'There's the money,' says Mrs. Yolan. "'getting back sideways to the little heap of silver on the table, "'as if it drew her in spite of herself. "'The tin case and the dog chains were all she bought, "'and all she took away. "'One and nine pence, and three and sixpence, total, five and three. "'With my love and respects, "'and I can't find it in my conscience to take a poor girl's savings "'when she may want them herself.' "'I can't find it in my conscience, ma'am, to give the money back,' "'says Sergeant Cuff. "'You have as good as made her a present of the things. "'You have, indeed. "'Is that your sincere opinion, sir?' "'says Mrs. Yoland, brightening up wonderfully. "'There can't be a doubt about it,' answered the sergeant. "'Ask Mr. Betteredge. "'It was no use asking me. "'All they got out of me was... "'Good night. "'Bother the money,' says Mrs. Yoland. "'With these words, she appeared to lose all command over herself, "'and... "'making a sudden snatch at the heap of silver. "'Put it back, in her pocket. "'It upsets one's temper, it does, "'to see it lying there and nobody taking it,' "'cries this unreasonable woman, "'sitting down with a thump "'and looking at Sergeant Cuff as much to say, "'It's in my pocket again now. "'Get it out if you can.' "'This time I not only went to the door, "'but went fairly out on the road back. "'Explain it how you may. "'I felt as if one or both of them "'had mortally offended me.' "'Before I had taken three steps down the village, "'I heard the sergeant behind me. "'Thank you for your introduction, Mr. Betteredge,' he said. "'I'm indebted to the fisherman's wife "'for an entirely new sensation. "'Mrs. Yoland has puzzled me.' "'It was on the tip of my tongue "'to have given him a sharp answer, "'for no better reason than this, "'that I was out of temper with him. "'Because I was out of temper with myself. "'But when he owned to being puzzled, "'A comforting doubt crossed my mind "'whether any great harm had been done after all. "'I waited in discreet silence to hear more. "'Yes,' says the sergeant, "'as if he was actually reading my thoughts in the dark. "'Instead of putting me on the scent, "'it may console you to know, Mr. Betteredge, "'with your interest in Rosanna, "'that you have been the means of throwing me off. "'What the girl has done tonight is clear enough, of course. "'She has joined the two chains.' "'and has fastened them to the hasp in the tin case. "'She has sunk the case in the water or in quicksand. "'She has made the loose end of the chain fast "'to some place under the rocks, "'known only to herself 
and she will leave the case secure at its anchorage till the present proceedings have come to an end, after which she can privately pull it up again out of its hiding place, at her own leisure and convenience. All perfectly plain so far, but, says the sergeant, with the first tone of impatience in his voice that I had heard yet, the mystery is, what the devil has she hidden in the tin case? I thought to myself, the moonstone, but I only said to Sergeant Cuff, can't you guess? It's not the diamond, says the sergeant. The whole experience of my life is at fault. If Rosanna Spearman has got the diamond. On hearing those words, the infernal detective fever began, I suppose, to burn in me again. At any rate, I forgot myself in the interest of guessing this new riddle. I said rashly, the stained dress. Sergeant Cuff stopped short in the dark and laid his hand on my arm. "'Is anything thrown into that quicksand of yours ever thrown up on the surface again?' he asked. "'Never,' I answered. "'Light or heavy, whatever goes into the shivering sand is sucked down and seen no more.' "'Does Rosanna Spearman know that?' "'She knows it as well as I do.' "'Then,' says the sergeant, "'What on earth has she got to do "'but to tie up a bit of stone in the stained dress "'and throw it into the quicksand? "'There isn't a shadow of a reason "'why she should have hidden it, "'and yet she must have hidden it. "'Query,' says the sergeant, "'walking on again. "'Is the paint-stained dress a petticoat or a nightgown? "'Or is it something else "'which there is a reason for preserving at any risk? "'Mr. Betteredge, if nothing occurs to prevent it, "'I must go to prison hall tomorrow "'and discover what she bought in the town.' when she privately got the materials for making the substitute dress. It's a risk to leave the house, as things are now, but it's a worse risk still to stir another step in this matter in the dark. Excuse my being a little out of temper. I'm degraded in my own estimation. I have let Rosanna Spearman puzzle me. When we got back, the servants were at supper. The first person we saw in the outer yard was the policeman whom Superintendent Seagrave had left at the sergeant's disposal. The sergeant asked if Rosanna Spearman had returned. Yes. When? Nearly an hour since. What had she done? She had gone upstairs to take off her bonnet and cloak, and she was now at supper quietly with the rest. Without making any remark, Sergeant Cuff walked on, sinking lower and lower in his own estimation, to the back of the house. Missing the entrance in the dark, he went on, in spite of my calling to him, till he was stopped by a wicked gate which led into the garden. When I joined him to bring him back by the right way, I found that he was looking up attentively at one particular window on the bedroom floor at the back of the house. Looking up, in my turn, I discovered that the object of his contemplation was the window of Miss Rachel's room, and that lights were passing backwards and forwards there as if something unusual was going on. "'Is that Miss Verinder's room?' asked Sergeant Cuff. I replied that it was, and invited him to go in with me to supper.' The sergeant remained in his place and said something about enjoying the smell of the garden at night. I left him to his enjoyment. Just as I was turning into the door, I heard the last rose of summer at the wicked gate. Sergeant Cuff had made another discovery, and my young lady's window was at the bottom of it this time. The latter reflection took me back again to the sergeant with a polite intimation that I could not find it in my heart to leave him by himself. "'Is there anything you don't understand up there?' I added, pointing to Miss Rachel's window. 
Judging by his voice, Sergeant Cuff had suddenly risen again to the right place in his own estimation. "'You are great people for betting in Yorkshire, are you not?' he asked. "'If I was a Yorkshire man,' proceeded the sergeant, taking my arm, "'I would lay you an even sovereign, Mr. Betteridge, "'that your young lady has suddenly resolved to leave the house. "'If I won on that event, I should offer to lay another sovereign "'that the idea has occurred to her within the last hour.' The first of the sergeant's guesses startled me. The second mixed itself up somehow in my head with the report that we'd heard from the policeman, that Rosanna Spearman had returned from the sands within the last hour. The two together had a curious effect on me as we went in to supper. I shook off Sergeant Cuff's arm, and, forgetting my manners, pushed by him through the door to make my own inquiries for myself. Samuel, the footman, was the first person I met in the passage. "'Her ladyship is waiting to see you and Sergeant Cuff,' he said, "'before I could put any questions to him. "'How long has she been waiting?' asked the sergeant's voice behind me. "'For the last hour, sir.' "'There it was again. "'Rosanna had come back. "'Miss Rachel had taken some resolution out of the common, "'and my lady had been waiting to see the sergeant all within the last hour.' It was not pleasant to find these very different persons and things linking themselves together in this way. I went on upstairs, without looking at Sergeant Cuff or speaking to him. My hand took a sudden fit of trembling as I lifted it to knock at my mistress's door. "'I shouldn't be surprised,' whispered the sergeant over my shoulder, "'if a scandal was to burst up in the house tonight. Don't be alarmed. I have put the muzzle on worse family difficulties than this in my time.' As he said the words, I heard my mistress's voice calling to us to come in. Thanks for joining us for 1001 Stories for the Road and The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins, chapters 14 and 15. Two more chapters coming next Sunday. Meanwhile, if you have a chance, please share our show with others. And please take a moment and send us a kind review. We always appreciate reviews, and reviews help new listeners decide to give us a try. Until next Sunday, everyone, this is your host, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Stories for the Road. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon. (laughs) 